Hi, everybody, and welcome to the May 26, 2017 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on Denver District Attorney Beth McCann declining to file charges against police officials in an open records case under investigation since March 2017. In a written statement, McCann noted that Denver PD mishandled the case in question and should examine how it handles open records inquiries, yet there isn't enough evidence to prove a violation of the Colorado Open Records Act. Pat Calhoun from Westward, we're used to different uh, charges not being filed with the police regarding district attorney. This is a little bit different. What do we need to know about this case since it is uh, much different than we're used to hearing? Well, it involves an open records request, so it isn't all that surprising that D.A. McCann, this is her first case like this, declined to file criminal charges, because if we're not filing criminal charges against police who shoot people, I don't think criminal charges against someone who fails to comply with an open records request makes sense. There is going to be an independent third-party investigation, which is good, because even if they're not criminal charges, certainly there should be an investigation. There should be some punishment. This is Chief White and Matt Murray, who reporters have had complaints about for a long time about not responding to things. In this case, he didn't respond to a union request for open records. The CORA is a really important tool. It should be observed, and there will be some kind of punishment. Mike Krause of the Independence Institute, what did you think of McCann? Did she make the right call? She, she likely made the right call, and I say that because the criminal intent in CORA is very, very difficult to prove. In fact, it's a very high bar, and a lot of it has to do with the nature of CORA, where you could say, no, there's no documents to this, and then a year later, guess what? You find a document that could very well have been inadvertent. And by the way, as as an organization that does a fair amount of CORA, uh, we find this to be true that, that, that sometimes things you think, wow, what's going on here? But at the end of the day, it could very well have been uh, uh, ineptitude, uh, poor record keeping, or simply someone saying, nope, don't have it, and then finding it a year later. The interesting thing is that this uh, criminal intent in CORA is such a high bar and so difficult to prove that actually this year in Senate Bill 40, which upgrades our CORA law, they actually removed the criminal penalty uh, from CORA altogether. Penfield Tate, attorney QTAC Rock, also a longtime state lawmaker, joins us. We know charges will not be filed, but what kind of changes does DPD need to undergo to answer the situation? You know, I don't know what they need to do. Um, I think the DA's decision was the right one in light of the fact that it's almost impossible to prove a knowing, willful, and intentional violation of open records that would bring the, the criminal penalty. But, but let's not forget the fact that she was clear in her correspondence that the police clearly did an awful job in responding, slipshod, careless, and I think many believe it was intentional. The question is whether you can prove it. So at some point, the manager of safety is probably going to have to put her foot down 
and possibly just take that responsibility from police, sheriff, fire, and run all of those requests through the, the, the manager's office to make sure there's a timely response. With the problem we've had with law enforcement in this city, even though there have been some changes, you can't afford what appears to be an intentional uh, evasion of, of the, the laws requiring transparency. Hans Meyer rounds out our panel. New to the program, thanks for being here with the Meyer Law Office. What do you think this situation does for the, the DPD reputation for the, in the community? Well, uh, the DPD, as well as local, state, national government, is suffering from a crisis of credibility uh, on a lot of different fronts. And I think, aside from the criminal intent issue about whether or not there's sufficient evidence to file charges, the bigger question here is open government. You know, open records laws exist for a very important reason, is they're a fundamental backbone to the democratic process and the idea of an open society. So to the extent that there is not criminal accountability, there absolutely needs to be an accounting uh, and some responsibility within agencies to be responsive to Open Records Act requests. Those are critical for journalists, they're critical for people doing investigation, for policymakers, and that is absolutely a fundamental principle of open government. In response to the release of President Trump's $4.1 trillion budget, Governor John Hickelooper called the significant cuts to social programs, highway funding, and medical research, quote, devastating. Meanwhile, a recent analysis of the American Health Care Act that passed the House recently reignited the repeal and replace debate among Colorado lawmakers this week. Patty, uh, is too much being made of the, for lack of a better term, the Trump budget because it's really going to be Congress that passes the budget. It, it may look completely different than what it looks like right now. Or is it getting the right amount of pressure? Oh, I don't think it's getting enough pressure. You cannot <laughs> give enough pressure in this case. The irony of today, the governor signed the new budget, which Colorado legislators had worked really long and hard on, made a lot of compromise, talked over the problems. First of all, they did a good job on that budget, given Colorado's economy. Now they're going to have to face maybe some huge cuts in health care, in Medicare. So when John Hickenlooper called it Robin Hood, um, stealing from the poor and giving to the rich, that's what this $4.1 trillion budget looks like. Representative Harold Rogers, who's a Republican, said it best. It's like, it's not just shaving, it is deep, deep cuts. And I think there could have been a lot more discussion, a little help for the Republican Party, because they're the ones who are really going to have to figure out how to deal with this in Congress. But it's an outrage. Mike, let's uh, hit on just what uh, Patty mentioned there. When you see the headlines, uh, especially the, on the healthcare side, of it, ARP already has a, a pretty poignant ad out saying how it's going to cost thousands of dollars for people older. And I saw a funny tweet this week that said, if only older people voted. Well, clearly <laughs> Republicans are going to face a, a, an uphill battle with constituency, especially this summer. If, if nothing is passed in the Senate before the summer, it's got a long time for constituents to come out and uh, make a pretty big beef about this. From a fiscal uh, management side of things, you, you, I would imagine uh, Republicans want to see some cuts happen. But are they going to come at the cost of losing a majority in the House or the Senate in just two years? A terrific question. Look, uh, President Trump can put forward whatever budget he wants. Uh, and by the way, he, uh, being the president, he still has some gravitas with regard to trying to get some of what he wants. But this still has to go through uh, both chambers of Congress where it's going to get hashed around, and especially with regard to, yeah, uh, do uh, senior citizens vote? Um, yes, indeed, they do. Uh, but, if the, but the flip side to this is that let's remember something. The federal government is broke. Uh, we have a massive national debt. We deficit spend every year. Uh, we are on an unsustainable fiscal path at the federal level. And at some point, 
uh, we are going to have to start turning back that tide and getting back to some fiscal sanity. So give Donald Trump credit for forcing this conversation uh, to have about just the, the future, the fiscal future of this country, uh, which is, frankly, uh, we're on a path to becoming a, basically a bankrupt security state uh, if something isn't done at some point. Penn, what do local lawmakers, I'm going to just say Democrats at this point, uh, make strategic plans of this announcement? It's still a long time between now and November 2018. You can't just put out ads right now. But some strategy has to come into play. When you get major announcements, big news like this, what do Democrats do at this point with what we're hearing both on the budget side of things and uh, even more on the health care side? Well, you know, I think that what you do is you begin to craft a message and you are you identify what issues you're going to articulate and highlight and share with the public. Um, one thing that's readily apparent, and I, I'm sort of where Mike is, but I look at this a little bit differently. What the Trump budget or proposed budget has done is clearly drawn a line. And as a society, you have to ask, are we better off with fewer or more people insured? Are we better off with providing for all of us or providing for none of us except the top 1%? Because that's basically what he bu his budget does. It it, I think, draws a bright line and says, I believe in X and I don't care about Y. And, and so Democratic candidates are going to make hay out of that. And they're being helped by moderate Republicans who are also saying this budget is it's unconscionable. It's irresponsible. I'm not voting for this. We're going to do something different. And that's the way the conversation ought to happen. My greatest disappointment is for a person who, who proclaims that they're a leader and they're a change agent. I wish his budget would have gotten past the theatrics and just said, here's how you balance this so that we provide for people, ensure people, provide benefits, and begin to become more fiscally responsible to begin to reduce both the debt and the deficit. And the budget really doesn't do that, nor does the afford the, whatever the new health care thing is. It's basically just uh, a, a protest to the Affordable Care Act. Hans, when it comes to the political decision with lawmakers now, really it's in the, the hands of the Senate. You have a huge budget situation to take care of, and you have a massive health care, whether you want to call it an overhaul, repeal, replace, whatever it's going to be. I don't know if both can get done. Do you think the Senate tries to decide a way to do both? Or do they pick one? I don't know what the Senate does. I mean, these are the two issues that are going to be the wedge issues in 2018 in the election. Obviously, Trump has come out with a budget, and, and sort of at their heart, budgets are moral documents. You know, they talk about what uh, a leader or a party believes philosophically needs to happen. And, and um, as was mentioned, uh, you know, what's, what's the question? Do we want to be able to provide coverage or insurance for more people, or what is the cost? of the modification that might happen in the Affordable Care Act and as well as the budget. Uh, I don't know if the Senate's going to be up for both. I don't, I, I'm curious to see what the, how this plays out. I do know that these are going to be obviously the two issues that both parties are going to be going back and forth on for the election. And it's absolutely going to, it's, you know, the sort of battleground is being drawn as we speak. Should be fun to watch. Following a review of the aftermath of this year's 420 event, Denver Mayor Michael Hancock banned the organizer of the event from hosting the annual gathering for three years. Citing noise complaints, lack of security, and delayed trash removal, the organizer is now responsible for close to $12,000 in fines and damages. Mike, seeing all the trash afterwards, that aftermath, uh, it wasn't surprising to see a fine. 
but a three-year ban seemed a little excessive. What did you think of what we saw handed down by Mayor Hancock? I think Mayor Hancock was probably reacting to uh, images in an event that, that frankly kind of shocks the conscious when you look at Civic Center Park in the aftermath of that and you go, really? I mean, is this, is this really what our parks are for? Even if they are public, even if they're open to the public uh, and to these events, you still, it's fine and dandy for the city to have some standards set down uh, with regard to what you leave behind. Uh, interestingly enough, this is not the end of, of 420. It's the end of 420 for this particular organizer. Doesn't mean we won't see something else. Uh, I think that um, you're probably seeing a, uh, a reaction to a fairly visceral reaction uh, by the public to, to what they saw in the aftermath. By the way, the, it, just, it, it just seems a little bit strange as, a, as an aside. Uh, as you see what develops, what, what 420 looks like next year, it just seems a little bit strange that this still seems to be a protest rather than a celebration because, to be honest, these guys won and they continue to win. Uh, so I don't know why they're not celebrating rather than uh, trashing Civic Center Park. Penn, I saw more than one tweet uh, this week from an anti-pot activist claiming a victory. Look, we won. Look what Mayor Hancock did. Did Mayor Hancock cave to anti-pot activists? I don't think he did. I think, quite frankly, he and the city were mad at the mess that was made of Civic Center Park, and they decided to respond. Uh, it, it, this whole thing is odd. When, when you read the press accounts, one of the promoters of 420 said, you know, the, the city's just angry and they're trying to suppress the message. And I would flip that. My question to all of you would be, what is the message? You won. In Colorado, medicinal pot is there. Um, I hate the term recreational. I always call it personal use of marijuana is allowed. Um, Denver's about to figure out how to allow smoking lounges. Um, so I don't know why you still do 420. And when I thought about it, I said, well, maybe it's like celebrating the 4th of July when America won its independence. But then everybody just kind of stays at home and barbecues or goes to a park. Y you don't have a mass mess to celebrate that. Uh, and so if there is a message to the 420 movement, it'd be a good idea to be clear and articulate it because I think a lot of people are missing the point because we think you won. Hans, what did you think of the city's response? I thought it was a bit of overkill, to be perfectly honest. I think there's a, an absolute subtext and absolute undercurrent of anti-legalization sentiment. I agree it was a bit of a fiasco, you know. I think maybe suspending... Uh, this particular organizer for a year, something like that, might be reasonable. But, you know, we use Civic Center Park for other events, and it gets trashed in other events. Cinco de Mayo, People's Fair, there's all sorts of other events. Not justifying that the fact that it wasn't cleaned up, but it does seem that there's so much, there's just such an undercurrent of this anti-legalization to the decision and sort of the people backing or praising the, the mayor that caused me to be a little bit suspicious. I mean, we've benefited from the legalization of marijuana. Medical marijuana patients have benefited from medical use for many years. So it just seems there's a balance here, and I don't think the mayor's office got it. Patty, the, uh, Rob Corey, a, uh, I think really has made, come to notoriety as a marijuana uh, attorney, has promised an appeal. Uh, talked, he was the one uh, right in front saying this was overkill. Uh, how do you think the appeal will go, and what did you think of the city's response? Well, he's got 15 days to appeal, and Miguel Lopez is the original uh, organizer who files for the permit and has for every year long before recreational marijuana or Penn's personal pot was legalized. So Penn's personal pot sounds like a really nice <laughs> advertisement. <laughs> I'm yeah. just saying, Penn, if you had needed a, I may need a to start thing. a new business. <laughs> Sorry, it, oh, we will. I've got that in mind. So... 
I think what will happen is some of the fine might be reduced. I don't think they're going to change their mind about Miguel or and the group that applies for it every year having a lock on it. I don't think that will happen. But I do think there will be a 420 event next year. I don't think the city would cancel that. There are going to be very strong stipulations on it. Um, but if you can have Cinco de Mayo and drink a lot of beer, I don't know why you can't have a celebration. And truly, you should recognize that it's... It's really a commercial industry now in Colorado, so it's not just civil. It's not just your personal liberty, but it's a it's a commercial enterprise, just the way so many things are that are in Civic Center Park and will take over the park for a weekend. So I would say I'm challenging the Independence Institute to join me in filing for the 420. We can make it a real celebration. And it'll be sponsored by Penn's personal pot use. It's going to be a great event, and it'll behave itself very well. Again, Colorado Inside Out being the summit table of fantastic ideas. I couldn't endorse that stronger. I think it would be fantastic. The Denver City Council made national headlines this week over its unanimous approval to amend how petty and quality of life offenses are categorized in the city's criminal code. This Monday's vote reduced the maximum sentence to 60 days while removing fines for crimes like trespassing, urinating in public, and even minor assaults. Penn, you're one of our two esteemed lawyers at the table here. What do these changes mean? We heard a little bit about how this would affect the homeless and uh, immigrants, but is it more than that? I, I think it is. Um, I think from a big picture perspective, um, Denver, like a lot of Western communities, had a, has a number of laws on the books that, quite frankly, are outdated um, and irrelevant and, and probably shouldn't be there anymore. Many of them aren't enforced anyway. So I think the council took a very brave and appropriate step in reducing the penalties and changing how some of these offenses are classified. Uh, you know, when I was in the legislature, we used to talk about all of these primary offenses that we thought were subterfuge to, to um, exact the driving while black um, policy. And so in many of these instances, some of these charges historically have been used by police as an excuse just to deal with the homeless or to, or, or to deal with crowds or groups they deem undesirable. So some of the selective enforcement by reducing the penalties is good, uh, particularly as they impact the homeless. There's clearly an intent here to try to pull Denver out of the crosshairs of ICE and um, the Trump administration's enhanced enforcement with regard to immigration, particularly with regard to people who are in the country legally and have papers, because there's not always a discrimination and enforcement by ICE between people who are properly documented and people who are not. So city council was clear in not wanting city code to be used as a, as a pretext or basis for initiating um, deportation proceedings and some other enforcement actions. And again, I applaud the city for doing that. I think that's an appropriate thing to do. Hans, you're our other esteemed lawyer at the table, and you have an expertise in these areas. What did you think of the changes handed out by the council? Not bad. Uh, I think the council could have gone further, and I actually think that uh, the mayor's office could have gone further as well. Um, but we have been encouraging the mayor's office and city council to address this issue for about four or five months. Uh, coming at it from the perspective of the sort of unintended impacts for immigrant communities, largely people who have status, who then end up being deportable for minor sort of quality of life crimes, uh, particularly under a Trump administration where we have this mass deportation dragnet that Trump is trotting out. 
and that it just is wise public policy to sort of extract municipal functions and functions of city government uh, from those of immigration enforcement. So that's where we were approaching it from. But there's obviously bigger issues, right? You know, there's um, uh, homeless communities, there's other targeted communities historically for these sort of minor municipal offenses. So it's a good move and it's a good move in the right direction. I think the devil in the details, I'm not terribly happy with. I think there's a couple things I would have liked to have seen modified done a little bit differently and maybe a little bit more data collected on that and maybe a little bit more of a push for a little bit more comprehensive reform. But as an overall move, as an initial restructuring of what was basically a monolithic um, sentencing structure that was all the same, it's a step in the right direction. Patty, I think some of this was meant to, as Penn mentioned, to get City of Denver off the radar of ICE, uh, at, le at least the specific cases off ICE's radar. But do these changes put an even brighter spotlight on Denver as a sanctuary city? Oh, I don't think the spotlight has been dimmed on Denver one bit, so I don't think we need to worry about it. In the meantime, it was a smart move to really come up with a solution for some of this. Let's also remember that this sentencing reform bill added hate crimes, that you could now be punished for a state uh, a hate crime. So in some ways it also strengthened the law that way. I think to get urinating in public, unless it's on 420 in Civic Center Park, but to get some of these crimes off the table is a, is a good move. I was a little concerned about what I read about domestic violence, but I looked into it and it turns out if it's domestic violence with violent, literal violence, with physical assault, it immediately moves up to the top level. So uh, that concern has moved away. I think it was a good move so far. Mike, what do you think of the moves? There's a, a, a lot of different topics here between immigration, homeless, uh, uh, sense reform. What do you think? Well, it, it sounds like city council was, was doing this, it was gearing this towards immigrants and, and, and looking at the Trump administration and ICE and how do they, how, and I think Penn makes a good point of them wanting to avoid being the reason uh, that some kind of uh, uh, action is taken against someone. It's, it's kind of uh, too bad that, they, they, um, that the city council was all of a sudden inspired to do this because possibly because of the Trump administration and his, his immigration crackdown when uh, there was a perfectly good reason to do something like this uh, for years, which was to stop screwing over poor people with absorbent fines. And, and let me explain. Here's what happens uh, often. By the way, finding a homeless guy who has no job is is a lot like uh, sentencing someone to, to 600 years in prison. I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's a point, right? But here's what happens is that there's a, um, and this goes on in municipalities all over the state and all over the country, is that uh, absorbent fines for small offenses, or cities use these as, as, as cash cows, but what happens is you find someone who can't afford to pay the fine, they don't pay the fine, now there's a warrant for the arrest for not paying the fine, now they get arrested for that, they're back in court, now there's another fine. And so what this ha starts is this starts a downward cycle, that if you're at the margin, right, there's two places you can go. You can either start slowly building your way back up, or, you can, or one large expense comes along, and in fact the Census Bureau shows that the typical American is about $400 away from not being able to cover an emergency expense. So, and we saw this a couple years ago when the ACLU brought forward some legislation that, that requires municipalities to stop jailing people for not being able to pay fines. So what you're really going to do here is they may inadvertently, even though they may be sticking, a, sticking their thumb in Trump's eye with this, they may inadvertently actually help a few people living at the margins uh, uh, come up out of the margins by not inadvertently getting, frankly, screwed by the city over some absorbent fine. 
It's time for our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. And as always, Ms. Calhoun, please start us off. Well, one of the bills that didn't make it out of the legislature this year was transparency transparency, and oil and gas drilling. Now we have another explosion in Mead yesterday, and we will be hearing a lot more about the need to get those records. Yes, we will. Mike? The Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, who sent out an email uh, trying to hang the recent CBO scoring of the uh, Health Care Act around Mike Kaufman's neck, uh, but as it turns out, Mike Kaufman voted against the Republican ACH bill. So I guess the lesson here is that Democrats never miss an opportunity to trash a Republican in a, in a tough uh, district. Uh, but at the very least, they should be competent about it. I can't imagine the last time he's going to be getting a message like that. Penn. Well, I wasn't here last week, but I, I, I am disturbed that the former national security advisor with a tenure of 24 days is now taking the fifth and refusing to provide documents to a Senate committee. There's something fundamentally amiss here. Hans. I'd probably say our city's sentencing reform. I think it, we could have had, we had an opportunity to do a little bit more, something a little bit more substantive for a larger group of people. And, and I think it got pushed through a little too quickly um, by the mayor's office. And I think uh, it would have been nice to revisit that and maybe make some more substantive changes. Time to say something nice about somebody? Patty? When you're talking about holidays that have gotten uh, transmogrified over the years, Memorial Day, let's remember it's not just about barbecues and picnics and rock on the mall. It's also about the people who've served this country. Here, here. Uh, Governor Hickenlooper for signing Senate Bill uh, 105, which uh, requires transparency in monopoly utility providers' electric bills, which means that Excel will no longer be able to hide its... Uh, its various fees and rate changes uh, uh, month over month from people as they pay their bills. Uh, well done. Penn. Ironically, Denver City Council, although it wasn't perfect, the sentencing reform is a good start. As a legislator who spent seven years trying to reform sentencing at the state level, um, it, it's a good start. We, we're, our approach to incarceration and how we deal with people in this country is totally wrong. And it's good to see local government try to start making some progress there. Hans. Uh, Governor Hickenlooper for granting a full and unconditional pardon to Rene Lima Marin to allow him the ability to try to reunite with his family uh, and avoid deportation. And I want to say something nice about uh, uh, some of the fans I had uh, the great privilege to meet this week and the last couple of weeks. So we uh, have been very proud around here to have Colorado Inside Out on. Now it's our 25th season, but we are always reminded uh, when we go out to the community of the folks that really make that happen, which is all of you out there, all the great fans who watch the show that recognize some of us. They come, someone come up to me and I, you're that guy. I'm like, yes, usually, but that, 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 you're that guy. And then they, oh, I, I just saw Penn Tate. I told him he's that guy. So it's, it, it's, it's folks like that that really make this show happen, and I always want to be sure that all of you out there know how much we appreciate it. We get it. We know that we're around because of all your support, and we greatly appreciate it. That is all the time we have for Colorado Inside Out tonight. As always, you can catch the show and its segments online, on Facebook and Twitter, and on iTunes or Google Play. And as uh, for everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I want to... Uh, 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 Add to Patty's remarks that Memorial Day. Hope you have a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. And for all of those with family members who are the reason that we celebrate and commemorate Memorial Day with folks who have given the, uh, the greatest sacrifice of all so that we can have a holiday where we barbecue or do anything we want to, uh, we are grateful for uh, your sacrifice for this entire nation, our whole community. That is all we have. Thanks for watching. Good night. Thank you.